Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. We are back with another practical episode for you. I'm glad you're joining us. I hope you look forward to hearing from our guests as much as I do. So today's topic touches every single educator. Yep, every single one. So if you know an educator who hasn't been listening to the Teacher Edition podcast, here is your chance to share the show with him or her and let them know that it will be applicable no matter what grade or what subject he or she teaches. So before we explore that topic, and hey, who doesn't like a little suspense, I just want to remind you about submitting your questions. So that can easily be done on our website. And again, that's teachereditionpodcast.com. You'll see a button to click and record your question, and that's it. It's very easy. Of course, then you'll need to listen to each episode and to the end of each episode to actually hear your questions shared and answered. So these do not have to be deep philosophical questions, and actually it's totally fine if they're not. Maybe you're just looking for some practical ideas for your classroom or for communicating, or you just want to shake things up a little bit and you're looking for some input. Submit those questions. And of course, we would love for you to send in your funny classroom stories and your blessings as well. All that can be done through our website. And again, that's teacheredition.podcast.com. And for those of you who are on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Teacher Edition Podcast and on Instagram and TikTok as Teacher Edition Pod. So let's get back to our topic for this episode. And to tackle today's widely applicable topic, we have Katie Clip with us. Katie holds a bachelor's and master's degree in elementary education, and she has been teaching first grade for 18 years, and that is a lot of firsts. She has also assisted here at BJU Press in writing, revising, and consulting on different projects. While Katie loves the classroom, she also really enjoys hosting workshops for educators and assisting them in areas of classroom management, technology, and creative instruction. So I'm really excited to have her with us here today for this episode. So Katie, thank you for taking time uh, to share your insights with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. So I think we may have increased the suspense a little in sharing your bio. So let's jump in. Our topic for today is teacher language. So listeners, before any of you, especially our non-foreign language teachers, even have thoughts of clicking out of this episode. Katie, talk to us about what kind of language we're talking about here. Yes, definitely. Let's clarify that right away. We're not talking about uh, using or not using specific words. Um, we're going to focus on how teacher talk can change a student's direction. It can clarify a situation and so much more because what we say in the classroom does matter. So here we're going to be talking about how teachers can use their talk, which we fill every day with talk, how they can use that talk to effectively make a difference. Okay, so let's zoom out and then we're going to zoom back in. So teachers today have so many tools. They have so many resources at their disposal. And not only are they available in abundance and easily gotten, they're inexpensive or free. There's just so many tools. So with those tools available for teachers today, is teacher language really still that important? So why or why not? No, you're exactly right. I mean, we are we are living in an education world where teachers have more at their disposal than we ever have. Even if you just think of one area, like in technology, we have so many different resources. And it seems like every day, there's a different tool coming out that you can use. 
And all of those tools are really powerful, even all the way down to the little manipulatives we would use for math in first grade. All of those are considered teacher tools, and they're all really, really great. But I think I would be safe in saying that talk is our most valuable tool. It's something teachers have had since the beginning of time, and it is something that they will really never get rid of, whether we are doing virtual lessons or whether we're in person or whatever we're doing, talk is always our most valuable tool. And if you think of like a, I guess you could say maybe a handyman uh, coming to your home with tools, we know that, well, I mean, over the years, you, you see handy people come into your house and come in to fix plumbing or whatever. We know that some of them use their tools effectively and some of them do not, <laughs> whether to uh, build things or destroy things. And language is a lot like that. We all have the same tool at our disposal, but whether we use it effectively um, to build up and to strengthen and to clarify or whether we use it ineffectively, um, that's really the difference that we're talking about here with teacher language. So I think it's important really as we start out here talking about teacher language that I guess this is one of the biggest steps for us as teachers is to take a step back from what we are saying and how we talk and to listen from an outsider's perspective. And that takes a really strong person to be able to do that. I know as teachers, we kind of are very possessive about the way we do things, whether it be a way we teach a lesson or a way we phrase a certain thing in our lessons or in, when dealing with a child. And so it takes a really strong person and, and actually I guess I could say even a humble enough person to be willing to make changes. And I'm the first one to say, it's hard to change something that you've done for many, many years. Remember my mom used to say when, um, my sister and I were cleaning a room or even when we were getting a house ready to sell, she would always use the phrase, come in as a buyer. And so we would say, well, the house looks great. I think it's ready to sell. And then she would say, well, we need to come in as a buyer. We need to come in the front door and look around as if we were connected to this situation at all and view that situation from like taking our hands off of it. And we really need to do that as teachers. When we think about our language, we need to be big enough of a person to view what we say from an outsider's ear and be strong enough to see that we might have some things to change in this area of language. And a few years ago, when I started doing a lot of reading on this topic and really studying and praying about it too, and seeing how I need to change things in my own classroom and seeking to make changes, it was a hard thing to do, but I had to be willing to step back and say, you know, I may not be doing that right. And we all have to do that. That's something we all have to be willing to do as teachers because language is such a valuable tool. We know that it can build up or destroy. I mean, don't we see that in, in social media nowadays that just in one minute, in one sentence, someone's reputation can be marred or someone can be torn down or built up and strengthened. And we know that language is valuable because um, it can give understanding or it can clarify if it's specific enough. And we're going to talk about that later. Um, we know that it can also provide a strong model to follow or one not to follow. And in our day and age, I feel like as teachers, our role as a model is becoming more and more important as students may not have as much um, connection with their parents who may be very busy on social media or maybe they have a home where there's not as much connection with the parents, whether work schedules or whatever it is, they are needing that strong model to follow in the area of language and how to communicate. And I know my first grade parents would say often, even this year, it would make me nervous when they would say, 
oh, well, my child comes home and they play school all night and they sound just like you. And I think I'm supposed to be smiling when they say that, but that really scares me to death because um, whatever I say, they're going to be imitating whether it's a good role model or not. And students really need that strong model to follow in the area of talking, communicating in the area of language in general. And um, a few years back, I found some really great resources, um, a book called The Power of Our Words by Paula Denton, and also a book entitled Choice Words by Peter Johnston. There's, they're both secular books, but they're very thought provoking and very deep in the way of making us think about what we say and how effective it is and what we say, going down to the very words inside of a sentence and how we can arrange them to make them more effective. That's great. And I love those resources as well. Thanks for sharing those. So I'm sure each of us has run into that student who thinks of the most unique thing. So I had a student once randomly tell me that he was thinking about thinking and it was giving him a headache. So in education, we don't often talk about talking and you just kind of alluded to that. So talking often is just viewed as just part of education. We don't think about it. We don't talk about it. But if we think of our experiences coming through school, we remember what? We remember conversations and lectures and favorite phrases and inflections. If we think of our own experiences as educators, there are a lot of conversations and instructional times, pet phrases, inflections, inferences, and a ton of questions. So there's just a lot of talk associated with education in general. So would you say that there are different types of teacher talk used in the classroom? And if so, do you think that teacher talk could be put into some type of category? No, I think you're exactly right in saying that often talk is just kind of clumped into just talk. That's what teachers do. But you're also right in asking that about the categories because, yes, there are different ways we use talk in the classroom. And if we kind of focus in and realize those three different categories, we might be able to use them more effectively. So um, I guess we could say safely throughout the day that our language could kind of be divided into three different kinds of talk. One would be reinforcing, uh, one would be redirecting, and one would be reminding. And all of these three kinds we'll talk about here in a second, but I guess we could say that all of them should be focused around one word, and that would be the word action. Often as teachers, we just talk, not really paying attention to what our talk is doing or asking or clarifying. We just talk and we hope that it's accomplishing its goal. But if our talk is focused on action, then we might be able to get a whole lot more accomplished within a sentence or a phrase or a paragraph than we ever thought. And we talk a lot. And I like to step back and ask myself, I think this was a phrase from one of the books that I read, but it said, how did what I just said help that student clarify, understand something, or grow? And if I can't answer that question and really figure out a way that it helped under, uh, my student understand, clarify, or grow, maybe I should have rephrased it, or maybe I should have just left it out altogether. There is a lot of talk that teachers do that could just be left out because it really doesn't help understand, clar- help a student understand, clarify, or grow. I mean, if you think of all the common overused phrases by teachers, we could probably name 50 of them, you know, good job or well done or way to go or nice work or you've got this. But sometimes, okay, so if we're talking specifically about that first kind of talk, which would be our reinforcing talk, which sometimes we call positive reinforcement, it's kind of a pillar of teaching. 
And we use words like good job and nice work and things like that. But really, when it comes down to it, reinforcing talk is meant to give feedback to a student in order for them to stay on the right track. We use it for celebrating, coaching, highlighting behaviors beyond the student's norm, uh, recalling past victories. I like to think of reinforcing language as a landmark. Like when you're driving along, you know how when you're driving along and you're not sure if you're going the right direction, all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh yeah, there's that restaurant. Okay, okay, I, 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 may, I am on the right track. We're doing okay here. And you continue on your travels because you know you're on the right track. That's what our reinforcing language can do. But the problem is, is often our reinforcing language is so general that it doesn't serve as a landmark. It just gives a, oh, okay, that's, I'm, I'm glad I'm doing a good job. So in that case, we need to make sure that our reinforcing language is specific. You could even go as far as to call it controlling praise, I guess. Uh, so we are pointing out specifically what is good about what the student is doing so that they will repeat it. So, okay, so for instance, um, if I were to say, good job, library helpers, and leave it at that, they feel good. They're glad they got praised, but that doesn't help them repeat what they need to do next time. So maybe I should change that and say, wow, you library helpers made the books stand up straight on the shelves and all the bookmarks are placed back in the bin. Great work. I've addressed two different actions that I want repeated the next time. And not only was it heard by the library helpers, but it was heard by other students in the class who might even be able to remind them. But, you know, you have to be really careful with the reinforcing language like this. You want to be genuine and not use it as a manipulative type thing because students see right through that. When I say, oh, I love how the books are standing so straight on the shelf, and none of them are in reality, uh, the students see right through that. And you, we might think that that's working as an adult, but they look at it and say, who is she fooling? None of those books are standing up straight. So you have to be really genuine and keep it community oriented too, not pointing out that one student who's always doing a good job, all right, you know, the the certain names in your class of the ones you can always look, and they're always fine. They're standing in line like they should, but pointing them out and saying, I love how Sally is standing straight in line. Thank you, Sally, in hopes that the others will do it like her. That really doesn't work either. It pits Sally against the rest of the kids, and they put her on their list as, oh, great, another one that's on the teacher's list. So, and along those same lines, try to keep it student-oriented when you're praising your students and not focusing on your opinion of it and saying something like, I love how you got in line so quickly. Let's try turning that around and using the word you. Okay, so maybe instead of saying, I love how you let Sam go first in line. How about turning it around and saying, you really thought of others when you put Sam first in line. How did that feel inside when you did that? And having them feel the praise, yes, you noticed something they did, but having them realize I did that and take the ownership of it and keeping that reinforcing language specific so that you're naming the actions, genuine, community-oriented, not just pointing out one student, but also student-oriented, focused on them and how it felt for them. A really good article to check out for this one, too, um, is called Goodbye to Good Job. It's an article by Margaret Barry Wilson. It was written in 2011. It gives a lot of really great alternatives for saying just uh, very general praise, like good job when you're talking about reinforcing language. That's great. I really like how you focused on focusing on what they did because you obviously won't be their teacher forever. And I think that really helps some of those behaviors continue on because it's not so much that they made this clip happy. It's they found a behavior that was correct. And we want to make a habit out of that. So anyway, love that. 
That was great. And if you don't mind, I'd like to spring off of what we just heard. So we've heard about reinforcing language and how it can be used specifically to bring about repeated desired behavior. But what kind of language then would you use for teaching them to do the right thing? So taking kind of a step back. Right. No, you're exactly right. It does. It propels us into the next kind of language, which would be reminding language. And I think it kind of goes without saying when we say the word remind, that you can't remind someone of something if they didn't know it to begin with. So you have to teach the expected actions first, whether it be through interactive modeling by telling them about it, then having a student model it, then discussing it as a class of what they saw, and then practicing it again as a class, and then discussing it again. Whatever method you use for actually teaching something in the first place, that has to happen before we can go on to the next kind of language, which is reminding language. And I want you to, okay, so if we think as teachers how much we use reminders all day long, maybe it'll help us in our reminding language. So I don't know about other teachers here on the podcast, but I feel like I remind my students all day long. And you, you'd like to say, you should remember this, but that's not what it's about. So in order to help us stay a little bit more neutral and a little bit more calm on this type of uh, reminding language, think of the method that you use for your reminders. Okay. So I'm guessing there is the the host of the podcast, you set yourself reminders when you need to be on the air or whatever. And whether it be through Siri or a day planner or alarms, I'm always constantly going, hey, send me a reminder at nine o'clock or whatever. And you know what? My reminders never get frustrated with me. And I know it's kind of funny to think about that, but my my little Siri doesn't come up at nine o'clock and say, how many times have I told you that you are supposed to be at this recording? You know, Or how many times have I told you that you're supposed to have copied that worksheet? No, it just says copy the worksheet. It keeps a neutral tone of voice. And, and often as teachers, I think we cross over that line and our reminding language becomes a nagging language. So you really have to guard your tone and your body language in this and totally remain neutral and not phrasing. So if you're asking questions to remind them, as in, what did I tell you to say? Not using an accusative tone, but use expectant language instead. I love with my first graders, instead of saying, why don't you ever this? Or, you know, it, using an accusing language, turning it around and saying, who can remind me of how we should whatever? Or who can tell me? Or let's see who can. That little change that I made in my teaching a few years ago, it's just that total change in tone promotes community feel in my classroom rather than me as the dictator. Or, you know, if you're a Miss Nelson is a missing fan, the viola swamp, you know, finger saying, why don't you remember this? I've told you a hundred times. So we have to keep it very, very neutral and guard our tone, even our body language, putting a hand on the hip and saying, come on, you know, why, why haven't you picked this up yet? I've reminded you about this. We really want to use reminding language more as prevention rather than as a whip when they don't remind, remember something. But in order to do that, if you're going to use it as prevention, you have to get them involved in the reminding. Even the way you phrase your question, have them tell you what they remember about what you've taught them in the past. Something like, um, okay, one of our expectations in our class is we will take care of others. So when we go to recess in a minute, let's, let's hear two people remind us of how we can take care of others at recess. Or one of our expectations is we want to stay safe. When we go to cross the road, who can tell me what we need to be doing in order to cross the road? Now, I could turn that around and just say, all right, we're getting ready to cross the road. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. And, and they're not listening. They're, they're checked out. They're thinking about lunch or whatever's on the other side of the road. 
And But if I have them remind me, it's way more effective. And then be prepared to follow through. This is the air for your balloon. And it's also a foundation for the children who may not so much these days respect rules and authority as children have in the past. But when they see that you're going to enforce what you've just reminded them about or what they've reminded you about, then you're they're going to they're going to respect you a whole lot more for that. Yeah, makes total sense. Excellent. So we have our reinforcing, we have our reminding. And I don't think I don't know, our listeners, I'm sure can relate to this, but I don't think anyone would argue that things are still going to go wrong in the classroom, even after reinforcing and reminding. So take us through how does it how does teacher language make a difference then when that happens? Oh, no, no, seriously, things aren't going to go wrong after you reinforce. No, no. Okay, yeah, we'll go ahead and talk about it just in case there's anybody out there that might have a misdemeanor happening in their classroom. No, you're right. We'd love for it to end there, but that's not real life. And it's definitely not real teaching life. So you have reinforcing and that comes before and it's positive. And then you have reminding that comes during and it's directive and preventative. But even after that, you're still going to have problems. And so redirecting is the type of language that teachers use when things still go off track. Sadly, it's one of the most recognized features of teaching. You know, when you have charades or something with outside people playing amidst the that people act out when they're told to act out teachers. Um but, you know, it does require quiet strength and control. It's kind of like lifting a grand piano. You know, anybody can muster up the strength and lift it off the ground a few inches, but try to let it down without a big bang. You know, this is where it takes a lot of quiet control to be able to handle situations that have gone off track. And this can this kind of redirecting language can only happen if you've done reinforcing and reminding first. It's a must. So let's talk about just some quick tips about how to make redirecting language, getting students back on track um, in a more effective way. So one, be direct. Address just the children or just the child that is having the trouble, not the whole class, not a general, let's all stop that now, because most likely the child that needs to hear it is not going to gather from that what they need to. So be very direct. Use their name. And be action-oriented. We talked about that word action at the beginning of the podcast. We want to state the desired behavior and not focus on all the things that they've been doing wrong. And I think this is one of the hardest things for me to change. And I've worked so hard at this for years and I still mess this up. So, so for example, instead of Sally, please stop tapping the wall and smudging your fingers over all the newly painted hallways. It's just Sally, put your hands at your side. So it's direct with the child's name and it's direct with the action that I wanted. Okay. Think of it like a GPS. When you program in your GPS where you want to go, if you take a wrong turn or let's say you get off at the wrong exit, your GPS does not harp on you saying, how many, I've been warning you for the last four miles to not take that exit. I've been warning you to take exit 120. No, your GPS doesn't do that. They say, turn around when necessary, or they say, recalculate. Yes, return to the route. Yeah, the GPS is action oriented. So you got to think of yourself as a GPS and leave out the sarcasm, leave out harping on what they've done, you can discuss that with them later. But in the moment, to keep your lesson and the class on track, you address the wanted behavior. And instead of sarcasm, like, well, the wall can hold itself up, Sally. No, just Sally, step away from the wall. And you want to be careful, too, to use an action, not a quality, especially with younger children. So something like, Sam, put your pencil in your desk rather than, Sam, I need you to be attentive. Because in the moment, Sam's going to have to take the word attentive and go, okay, what is she talking about? And maybe he knows that quality from a character time you've had together, but 
You need something that is very easily discernible in the moment. And keep it short and neutral, all right? Not a question. Sammy, can you please set up for me? Because you know there's going to be the ones that say, no. <laughs> so, and it's not for you either. You don't want them obeying for you. You want them obeying because it's right. And do reserve the polite terms too, like, excuse me and uh, sir. You've taught them to use those polite terms in other scenarios where you want them to use respect and politeness. So let's keep those out of the redirecting type of language for teachers. So be direct, be action-oriented in stating that wanted desire, and just leave out the sarcasm and all the other explanations in the moment. Great. those That's just super great pointers. And those are so helpful for how we can increase our effectiveness in our language. So as we finish up, I wonder how would you summarize all of this? We talked about so many different things. Could you summarize them down into a few words that we could help remember in the moment? Because in the moment... We can't pull out our podcast and go back through what exactly we're supposed to do. So can you boil that down and summarize it for us? Yeah, yeah, good idea. Okay, so let's say, um, well, we have the three types of language. So we have reinforcing, reminding, and redirecting. So let's give a word or two for each of those. So reinforcing, it needs to be specific so that you get those stated, those stated behaviors to happen again. So it needs to be specific and student-focused. Reminding comes next, and it needs to be proactive and brief. So have them tell what's going on and just keep it short. Have them tell what they need to be reminded about. So we've got reinforcing, reminding, and then redirecting. I would say for redirecting, think action-oriented and again, specific. And you know, this you're right, this is a whole lot. And you think, ah, as a teacher, I'm just talking. I'm not thinking about what I'm saying throughout the day. And I know we need to. And we have so much to juggle in a day. Talking is just a natural thing for us. So it's hard for us to change something that we've done throughout our whole lives. Um, and I guess I would challenge our listeners to think about Psalm 1914. Let the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. So really, when you think about that verse, the standard is not really what we think is funny to say to a student or what we think is acceptable or okay in our situation or okay in the situation that they're really making us upset or frustrated, the standard really is the language pattern of Christ. When he was here, people frustrated him. He had to remind people, his disciples of things over and over and over until he probably felt like he was just going to scream too. And the standard is his compassion and his calmness and his neutrality and just reminding them and and that standard is our standard, not what we think is acceptable in the moment. You maybe have, I sometimes I record myself or I have a teacher observe me and say, okay, could you listen to me and see how I'm talking? Because maybe I'm not hearing it like I think I am. And pick one area and work on it. Just maybe, okay, today, this week, this month, I'm going to work on reinforcing specifically. And focus on one thing. When you go to get groceries, you come home with a whole load of groceries. You don't eat all the food at one time. You eat one thing at a time or maybe two things for a dinner. So think of it that way. Take one thing and purpose that you're going to change that one thing. And even keep a reflective journal. Write down things that worked and didn't work. Because you have to think of yourself again as that builder with a full tool belt of tools ready to be used. You wouldn't want one in your house that flails his hammer and his saw around just without thinking. Talk is our power tool as a teacher. And your students need a teacher that knows the power of this tool and how to use it effectively and how to build something with it that works and lasts. I think of that African proverb that says, um, 
Was it the the axe forgets, the tree remembers. And so many times as teachers, we just flail around, you know, we throw around the the comments, the the sarcasm, the in the moment frustration, and we don't remember a thing about what we said. But the tree that the axe hit remembers, the student remembers, and they remember how that made them feel because what you say does matter. That's right. Yeah. Those strategies are right down in the trenches. That's right where we are. So these are situations that we're facing every day. And, you know, these situations all require language, just like you said, it's just part of our day. Our language is incredibly impacting. So thank you. These pointers are practical and these are things we can practice right now. So thank you. You've been spot on and practical. But before we sign off for today, I would like to take time for a question from one of our listeners. And Katie, before you go, I'd love for you to stay with us and offer any thoughts you have as well. So here we go. Hi, this is Deborah. I'm down in the Central Florida area. Thanks for letting me ask you all a question today. Um, So I'm curious about repeated classroom misbehaviors. For example, during the lesson, one of my students tends to blurt out repeatedly, even though it feels like I have given a bunch of reminders. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I keep my cool, but it is incredibly frustrating. Is there something else that I can do in this kind of situation? Ah, yes. Classroom management at its finest. So we are definitely looking to include a good selection of classroom management episodes in the coming weeks. But let's talk about repeated behaviors, since that was what our question was for today. And I love that blurting is mentioned. (laughs) If there's any listener out there who's an educator and has never had a blurter in your class, please step forward, like email us, we would love to meet you. I I don't think we're thinking of giving you a prize. We probably just want to share the wealth with you or share some experience. For those of you who have multiple blurters, please resist the urge to send in their names for reassignment. (laughs) Blurting is so difficult, but we know that blurting isn't the only management um, issues sometimes we struggle with of having those behaviors that are repeated over and over in spite of reminders. So Katie, you just talked about language and often these uh, bring up a response from the teacher. So why don't we take it from that angle first? No, Deborah, you are not alone. And you are totally right in saying that those small repeated behaviors are almost more frustrating than the large scale like defiance thing. Because those small repeated behaviors can build and build and build like like building blocks on top of each other until it becomes your greatest frustration. And oftentimes that's when teachers lose control of their language. Um, I'd say maybe just as some quick little things that you could try. Um, it's really important that the student realizes how many times he's doing it and how big of a problem it is, as well as his parents knowing that too. So whether it be a sticky note on his desk and keeping track of it with points or a red box and a green box and how many times you catch him raising his hand versus blurting out in class, there has to be some tracking mechanism so that the family and the student as well knows what a big deal it is because oftentimes they don't even realize how much they're doing it. We realize it because it stops our train of thought and it's very frustrating to us, but they don't realize that. Um, One thing I do in my classroom, I have a little um, cardstock box on their little square on their desk. We call it their control center. And it has three buttons that are Velcroed down to that box. And we call it the control center because of those buttons can be lost if they lose control in these little areas like blurting or like tipping in their chair. The little things that just really grate on you as a teacher. And so they can lose those buttons throughout the day. They're replaced at the end of every day. But if they lose all three of those buttons, then we move to our larger behavior system, which for us is like a behavior point system. And that has really helped to slow it down in my class. 
Uh, for a while, I did post-it note points, you know, and I had to stand at the fence at recess for every point. That, it was just too hard to manage for me to remember all of that and remember to have them bring their sticky note with them. So um, the buttons have really served to slow it down some. And yes, some of them lose all three buttons for several days. And um, another thing you can do if as a class, it's a problem and not necessarily just one student over and over even putting a word up on the board, like my students love to play a game called ribbit. And so we spell out the word ribbit up on the board. And when we have, we call it a, a talking explosion. When there's a talking explosion, we erase one of the letters off of that. If we keep it all the way till the end of the day and we even have one letter left, we get to play that game or do that activity or whether it be they, we write the word gold on the board and they get a gold token or something. So it keeps them working together as a class and building that community. And it also helps them remind each other because when one of them starts to ah, out in class, the other ones are, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Um, and you can even do it like a, for older students using it like a bank. So give teams, you know, $10 of blurt bucks at the beginning of the week. And every time they blurt, they lose a buck. And whatever they have at the end of the week goes into their blurt bank. And the first team to get to $100 gets the the privilege of whatever you're deciding. So make it a community type project. Kids, they know. They know it's a problem. My first graders would have told you last year that our biggest problem was blurting. We worked on it till the last day of school. And um, they know it. So have them work together as a team to fix it. Yeah, right on. That is so true. Great idea. So the thought that popped in my mind when I first heard the question was the importance of a plan. And that's kind of what you mentioned here. Just something that's reasonable and attainable, and one that's very clearly communicated as well. So as a principal, of course, I would observe in classrooms, and I always enjoyed the variety of classroom management plans. And, you know, some were well-defined and were followed through on, and others not so much. So having a plan that's not executed is really as concerning as not having a plan, a plan at all. And this applies to executing the plan consistently as well. And I remember one classroom in particular where a teacher said a certain student's name over and over and over every time I was in there and nothing more ever happened. She just called the name incessantly. And I talked with her and she hadn't even noticed that. And so she asked me to record her and she was just flabbergasted at how many warnings, she called them, that student received while others just moved on to the next, you know, step in whatever their discipline system was or, you know, getting praise or whatever it was. But it's so important that students are clear on expectations and the follow through, and that they will know that that is what's going to happen if they you know, make a wrong choice. And it's not that you need a heavy hand. In fact, you don't, and you won't need a heavy hand in most situations. Students can act and interact safely within your expectations. And by safely, I mean, you know, with ease and comfort, not a fear of how their teacher might respond, but with predictability. They know if I choose to do this, this is what's going to happen. And often when a teacher doesn't have a plan or isn't following up on that plan, that's when the teacher's responses and the frustration well up. And I think that's exactly what you just mentioned. And really, this could be a whole separate podcast, and we probably should have a podcast about that. But having a plan and communicating that plan is so important. And, you know, sometimes we have to adjust that plan or subdivide that plan. And that's okay. That's fine. Every class is different every year. And as they move throughout the year, we have to make those changes. Katie, do you have any other thoughts on that? No, you're right. And you have to almost like have a bazillion plans <laughs> because the, the plans will wear out or the plans won't be effective. I, I know I try some things with my class sometimes and it's like, well, that that was a bust. 
it didn't work, but it worked last year. You know, what is the problem? All, all the classes are different. And sometimes the plans will wear out and you got to bring something new in to keep them with you. You can't just rely on one thing over and over. Otherwise, like you said, when the plan fails, that's when oftentimes the language and the frustration, the the frustration gets out of control and then the language often deteriorates. Right, right. Yeah, goes perfectly with what we talked about today. So Katie, thank you for being willing to talk with us today. I really appreciate that. And thank you for getting us actively thinking about our talk as we interact with students and of course, parents and other educators. So your insights were spot on. And just thank you. We appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teacheredition.podcast.com to submit your questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day, but it's not just any day. Every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and grace working in you. Go do what God has called you to do. 